Hello, Jay here. If I could ask, could you give us a little five-star rate in Apple Podcasts? Go on, please. It won't take long. You can just do it now. That'd be lovely. And share the podcast. Tell your friends. Appreciate it. And on today's show, we're talking to Coffee Lab owner Danny Hyams. Australian ex-lawyer Danny arrived in Phuket around about 13 years ago. His journey to Phuket and his journey of Coffee Lab are both entwined, and I don't mean like the tea company. Mmm, thank you. From Jewish cockneys to a year in Israel drinking Turkish coffee at 4am, this one is a great story. We like Danny and allegedly, apparently, most people will say, has the best coffee in Phuket. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Oh, so you're Jewish. <laughs> tell us Is about that. The that? First question. Yeah. Well, you brought T- it up. Tell me about that. Well, it kind of you don't get a choice in these things. Uh, I-, I would argue strongly that you do. But carry on. Okay. Well. Um, well, hold on. We should yes. let's before Danny gets into the whole Jewish stuff. Let's introduce the guest properly. Oh, that, oh, might okay. be, that actually, to be fair, might be a better idea. Yes. <laughs> Go on then. Danny Hay- Haynes. Hyams. Hi- oh, is it Hyams? That's correct. Okay, Danny Hyams. Um, how long have you been in Phuket for? <laughs> July 2008, I came here. Do the maths. Do the maths. Calculator. Uh, 12 years. 13, getting up to 13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so 12. <laughs> or would it be 13 this year? I yeah. guess it will be, won't it? Yeah. It's yes. July now. Coming up. Um, and what was the reason you came here? Uh, in my case, it was actually... I needed to... I needed a change. Um, Ooh. Yeah. See in his eyes, what he's yeah. saying there, he was a mass You've murderer. You've opened a can of worms. <laughs> run away. No, actually, uh, on a serious note, I lost my wife to illness in the beginning of 2007. She was Thai. Uh, before we met, uh, I had been to Thailand many times as a backpacker starting in the 1980s. Uh, so I'd always had this thing with Thailand. Uh, we were married for eight years and lived in Australia. She was she was Thai, lived in Bangkok, and she became seriously ill and uh, passed away. Um, we did often talk about coming to live here. Um, I was working as a lawyer in Australia, and I had for more than ten years. Uh, all in all, disillusioned with the work. Um, uh, I was struggling probably with depression, undiagnosed. Um, I didn't work for about a year. Uh, I know one day I just woke up literally and just Googled Phuket lawyer because I thought I've got to go to Thailand. I want to live on an island because I was a really sporty and uh, outdoors person. Couldn't imagine living in Bangkok as much as I love it. And uh, just bingo, I just found a job almost straight away. And uh, before I knew it, uh, within a month of having this idea, I was already moving uh, to Phuket to start a new job. Right, well, let's unpack that, Russ. All right. <laughs> so, sorry, that was a no, long no, no, answer, no. but that's no, probably as short as I could tell you. That's, that's exactly a perfect what answer. We want. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> when you, so you were with your, your wife, but you met her... Met her in Thailand. 
Okay, so this is why you was on actually, college. Actually, it's, it's interesting. If someone had asked me years ago, I would have uh, lied how we met. We actually met in the very early days of uh, online dating. No way. And like, like it took, uh, it take, you know, you'd fall asleep while waiting for someone's picture to come up on the screen. <laughs> it was that slow. So in that time, you would never admit it. Whereas now, what you met in a bar, that's pretty unusual. It's like, that's now like, it's in, now it's more than normal. That's actually quite bizarre. Uh, but yeah, it was quite, in, in those days, it was considered very weird yeah. to meet someone online. Um, can I ask how old you are? How old am I? Yeah. 58. Are you really? Yeah. Really? Mate, you don't look a day over 56. This is I radio. No one can see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no, mate, said you're that old. Are you serious? I wouldn't have put... I knew that you were... I get this older. compliment quite often, but yeah, thanks. No, take it. What, yeah. that and the massive cock, I guess, yeah. as well, <laughs> to be fair. I thought you said no back C ju- word. We got <laughs> <laughs> we're back to the Jewish thing. Um. <laughs> and my staff are all blushing? Or? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, have they seen it? That's bad. Um... So you met your... How long were you we met from? online. Online. We, we, we spent some time here. Uh, we went to Koh Samet and it was basically the only, really, the only love of my life. Like She was my soulmate. Mm. I'm normally beat around the bush and... Uh, well, that didn't sound too good. <laughs> uh, I'm normally a procrastinator. and uh, But yeah, with her, I knew straight away we got on great. Uh, so yeah, like uh, it was one of those things. It was... Uh, Magic, but short-lived. Yeah. But you, and then she moved to Australia. Too. Yeah, we lived eight years there. Okay. Um, she studied. She worked. Uh, yeah, she got on great there. There was a little Thai community in Adelaide where I came from. She had good friends there. Uh, you know, she she adapted really well, um, and we came to Thailand quite often. Right. So yeah, again. And uh, the, but but yeah. sorry, your your plan was to and, and forgive me for bringing this up, but yeah. your plan was to move here to. To Thailand together. It was kind really. of one of those romantic sort of things you discuss you and you go it. to sleep thinking. Uh, it's funny because after she died, yeah, I realised how short life is, and you actually have to live out your dreams. But for me, it was kind of it sounded like a pipe dream and not realistic. We even talked uh, at that time. Coffee was a hobby, and talked about oh yeah, live in Thailand, and have a, a cute a cafe shop. somewhere. Because gotcha. a lot of people dream about having a little cafe. They don't know. Yeah, it's bloody hard work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, quite. But and, and at the time you were working as a lawyer. I was, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. So in that respect, it was, you know, we've got the job, we've got the, we've got the life to set up. Yeah. This is all, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if we could go off and, and do these things? That yeah, was, it, was, yeah. It, was, okay. it was kind of a... I'm Which sure is normal, she, Look, and right? she, she did, like most... Look, a lot of Thai girls who leave the country, they seriously miss their families, so mm. people shouldn't think that it's any different yeah, for sure. them. Yeah, yeah, uh, So, you know, I think, although they tend to move to the Westerners' country, there's often a hope that they'll go back yeah. and live there and, and yeah they do miss it and you know it's like in the evening in Adelaide what's going on here this where's all the street food you know it's like it's dead everyone's inside having dinner so it's hard for them to get used to that and um, yeah we talked about it I didn't think about it too seriously and we were at a stage where we were saving money and you know renovating the house and stuff so yeah, after she passed away, um, yeah, just my way of thinking changed about sure. the timeline, yeah. Okay, let's track right back. So you mentioned born, grew up in Adelaide? Uh, I was born in Perth. Okay. Um, we left uh, Perth when I was five or six years old. Dad was a academic and he was transferred, or not transferred, he got, he got a job uh, as a senior lecturer in Adelaide at the new Flinders University at that time. And we moved there, and that's where I started school. Brothers, I, sisters? I've got two brothers on the middle of three boys. Uh, three boys in four years. Yeah. was pretty tough for mum. <laughs> yeah. Hell, really? Yeah. Jeez. 
And was the lawyerness, is that the right yeah. word? Was the, being a lawyer something that, that was that what you wanted to do? Yeah, it's really kid? interesting. I don't know. I really would be interested to know how many kids know what they want to do when they're kids and actually follow, follow through, through on that and yeah. it does become what they thought. I had no idea. My parents don't. always used yeah. to say, stop arguing, uh, you'll make a great lawyer. My grandfather and grandmother used to say it. It was a very Jewish thing to be a lawyer or a doctor. You're I didn't Jewish. really want to cut people open. <laughs> didn't we start with that? <laughs> yeah. I think we did, yeah. He's got a short memory. You're yeah. Jewish though as well, aren't you, Russell? Well, d- technically, yes. <clears throat> technically. Well, we can get on to that in a minute. I'm sure we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, she was a good arguer, which made you a lawyer. Look, I think, let's face it... Uh, most, especially in that day, even Jewish or not Jewish, most parents would uh, like to say, you know, when someone says, what does your son do? They would have loved to have said in that, that year, a doctor, doctor or a lawyer. lawyer. You know, yeah. they were the two classic ones. They were the two highest marks you needed at school. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more diversity of jobs now that yeah. require, you know, maybe you know people of that calibre. But I didn't really know. And, and even when it got to the time that I went to law school... Uh, I realise that you really don't have a clue what being a lawyer is because law school to being a lawyer are two completely different things. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, most young lawyers probably don't have a clue and I think a lot of them either study law as a general degree or uh, don't last more than a year or two and, and quit and do something else. I often wonder with things like this because you, you make a good point about how many people go into something and then like when I did hotel management as my degree and there's no fucking way I'm working in hotels. No. But how many people do a degree or study for a particular vocation but go off and do something else? There must be... Because everyone says, oh, I did this degree, but I end up, ended up doing something else. Now more so a lot than before. I'm I think sure. before you did this to do that job. And but I, uh, I also wonder within that, that, uh, that sect of people, it, who goes into it... Because you went into law school technically blind. Right, I've no idea if sure. I want to do this or not. I, I didn't know, know any lawyers. And yeah, yeah no. so I'll just see what it is. But I wonder for the people that that grow up from a young age, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, and they, they follow that track and then actually get to it. How many of those either find that it's, it's not the dream that they always thought it was going to be compared to those that had, I have no fucking idea what I want to do and sort of fell into it, whether they enjoy it more or, or last longer. It'd be interesting to see what that yeah. kind of ratio is, right? I agree. Well, I had the misfortune of, uh, I think, at that time there was that... Uh Anyone remember L.A. Law? Yeah, yeah. I just love L.A. Law. Well, that's what being a lawyer is, right? You know, these... I'm trying rich, to think of the know, theme or, tune. Or the movie with Tom Cruise where, you know, I nearly threw Risky up Business. I heard he was starting on about 100,000... Risky Business? Uh, Wasn't that one? With Gene Hackman? I'm oh, no, no, no. I guess no, you're was, um, Top Gun, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, not... No, um, it was the John Grisham book. Um, in not some not southern state in the USA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. The firm. Starting salary was 90K, right? And that's US dollars. Lawyers were starting, when I was starting, uh, lawyers were getting less than, I think, around 20,000. Less than 20,000. And so it was just so unrealistic. Yeah. A first-year lawyer getting paid like that, being wooed. And, you know, but so that's, what, that's what the kind un- of thing people... Yeah. But TV's people unrealistic. I mean, no one... There's no way Pamela Anderson is... A lifeguard. A lifeguard. <laughs> but you've been to the beach, but not everyone's been to court. And people that's don't true, really... It's true. a bit of a mysterious profession yeah. and the wigs and gowns <clears> and all that <throat> stuff. So, yeah, no, it, it is more mysterious. Did, did it's, you, is it, it's interesting because in the UK, being a lawyer, right, there is the wigs and there's the gowns. Yes. But then in America... At Crown Court. Australia has them also. Yeah, but, it's it's Crown Court. Look, but, but most people see the American lawyer where it's, it's not that. It isn't that mm. kind of whatever you want to call it. But is that the same in Australia? So do you have it's a the same in Australia. Yeah. Um, Look, I, I think that 
there's definitely this thing where it's an old boys club and mm. th there's a lot of reasons why people want to get rid of this stuff. On the other hand, it's amazing seeing, uh, you yeah. know, a, a seven-foot bikey, huge, covered in tattoos and a, and a 78 year old man wearing a wig is making him shake in his boots as he stands in the dock so yeah. there's something about it creates a distance between normal people and you know this so-called yeah you're sitting up there there's something symbolic about it that maybe at least in criminal justice works for civil justice there's absolutely ridiculous for them to wear wigs and gowns but did you focus you on a particular sect of law or uh yeah it was like uh, at at the time i when I was graduating, I decided I didn't want to be any sort of a corporate lawyer. Mm -hmm. So I thought at least I wanted, uh, idealistically or naively, I wanted to help people. You know, I think if you don't have any job satisfaction, if it's just about the money, I think that's going to eventually wear thin for some of us, not sure. for all of us. Uh, for me, that was definitely a part mm -hmm. of it. I was, I, I had ideology that, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to fit with my job. So I, I worked for a, a law firm that was well known to do union work and accident work and okay. immigration work and basically anything that was representing an individual, not representing a, the big end of town, yeah. uh, which I just didn't want to do. And that, that, of course, gives you a lot more money and opportunities, but I didn't want to do it and my mum never understood why. <laughs> now, we're sat in your little place here, Coffee Lab in Boat Avenue. Cheap plug. Good plug, though. Were you into coffee at the time when you were doing your lawyer stuff? Uh, or was, there a, was no. there a coffee culture in... I mean, I've There definitely was. Australia, so. I'd say that being a lawyer got me into espresso culture. Yeah. But, but, but my coffee culture started uh, when I was 18 and uh, went, uh, I took a year off school and went, with a, uh, went on a, uh, a one-year trip to Israel, as uh, a lot of Jewish my, youth in Australia do. The par your parents send you... Uh, it was a, a six months learning uh, history and and language in uh, Jerusalem, right. and then six yeah. months on a kibbutz as a like a volunteer worker. Right, as a, as a non-Jewish and non-religious uh -huh. person, what a, a kibbutz? So a kibbutz is like it's a collective farm. Kibbutz, yeah. It's a collective. It's like a collective farm. They were established basically when Israel was established in the well, even before that, in the twenties and thirties. These were idealistic. Um, lefties from Eastern Europe who uh, were settling land for both strategic and farming reasons and um, you know a lot of them were if you look now were, were you know on tops of hills and um, there's a lot of history to that so it was socialist there was no money um, it, it was everything was collected people ate together in the dining room there was something romantic about it but Pretty, pretty much like communism. I was going to say, you say romantic. It sounds like a cult to me. Well, it, 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 look, it kind of worked really well in a way, but like um, from my mind, uh, it wasn't necessarily socialist ideals that failed in the Soviet Union. It was the way they did it with yeah. communism. That's, and, and the same thing, putting, having a nice theory and practice on the ground because uh, uh, the theory of people being equal and sharing is probably most people think that it's sounds fair enough but um, I guess you had things like okay somebody's never seen an electricity bill before so they can leave their aircon on all day so it's nice and cool when they get home right or he's doing he's picking oranges at a great rate so you know I can I can fall asleep between the aisles and no one will notice so 
you know, cracks appeared in the system and now kibbutz today is actually, it's, it went the same way as Eastern Europe. It's, it's become, uh, or even China. I mean, China calls itself communist. There's nothing communist about China except for the party that, the party name of the party it, yeah. that runs it, you know. So it's a similar evolution with the kibbutz movement and uh, there was probably, it was probably great at the beginning, but over time uh, the system started to fail and break down and uh, I'm sure if I, I've got friends still there but I'm sure if I went back there to see it I'd barely recognise it but yeah, in those days it was a great fun place to hang out um, volunteers would come from Europe and uh, you know part of their travels it was a cheap way to stay in Israel you'd work every day in the fields or in a factory uh, and you've got your accommodation and uh, like food, food taken care so of it was like the UK going to Australia there was a picking. lot of fruit picking yeah. yeah I picked bananas and mangoes and avocados got bananas in Israel yep I wouldn't have thought that yeah. Israel I don't know for, for me there were they, they, they had well. a pretty small arid country um, although some sections are a bit humid in the Jordan Valley in mm. the north but um, what they did excel in is is um, uh, technology with their agriculture. Like you know, a lot of the the drip systems that you'll see in the world and um, automated irrigation uh, come from uh, Israeli agricultural science. Do you know what? I'm feeling very out of my depth in this podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. the, 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 the Speaking of dams, <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge of you two, I think, is going to destroy me. So just I'll just, I'll just make little subtle comedy me. comments. I think on a, on a, we sort of digress from from coffee culture, which we will get back to. But, uh, but that's where in, it started for me. Yeah. was in Israel. Uh, so I I, li- I was on a kibbutz near uh, the Sea of Galilee, and there's a famous old town there called uh, Tiberius. And I went down there one day, and I saw this guy had a coffee place selling coffee beans, and I bought a little. Um, filter drip machine one of those ones where it sits on a little hot plate yeah and a little uh grinder and i started buying beans from this guy and people came around to my place to try it so probably even before that i first drank coffee when i was 19 years old and on the kibbutz when i had to wake up at 4 a.m to work in the banana field <laughs> and they were passing around a uh, a container of uh, a large container of of turkish coffee now, so that was the first time i actually drank coffee at 4 a.m. you kind of had to. Yeah. Uh, you had to work at that time because by lunchtime it was like 47 degrees and uh, seriously humid. Out. It was yeah. like you had to be having your siesta by then. Sounds like a work camp. Voluntarily. Yeah. Mm. Voluntarily by the parents volu- and yeah. the kids. Doesn't sound yeah. very voluntary <laughs> to me. But anyway, you enjoyed it. From a, from a re- religious aspect, do you, are you practising... No, no. no. Just so my it's more of a my, heritage thing. My, my 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 parents. My dad was born in Perth in mm-hmm. Western Australia. His father uh, was born in England. He was one of fourteen kids uh, lived in, within sound of the Bow Bells. Okay, he's a Cockney. Ha- he had his Cockney accent till the day so he he's died. A, he's a proper Cockney. Proper Cockney. Yeah. He told me he used to go to the football there, and you know, so he said it was uh, first up, best dressed yep. in his house. Uh, they his parents came from Poland. Uh, there's no way their name would have been Hyams, but Hyam means life in Yiddish or Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And they got all these Polish Jews coming off the boat with you yeah. know, 46 letter names, all with Zs and Xs, and they often just abbreviate on just, well, the, oh, we'll just put Hyam. And that is, the name Hyams is a, is a British <laughs> Jewish name. You won't find, you, you'll find the roots there always. Right. Uh, Eastern European, British, and then whether it's America or Australia. My, my, my grandmother, my dad's mum, was uh, also, her parents were from Eastern Europe, but she was born on the way to Australia. So oh, wow. this, this is what we call Eskenazi, or you could say white Jews from Eastern yeah. Europe. Now, whether 
those people can necessarily genetically trace uh, their blood back to uh, 2,000 years ago, which is when the Romans sort of chased them out of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, I'd be interested to know, but yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, I'd guess... Can we just say, when the Romans allegedly, just in yeah. case there's any lawyers <laughs> listening, yeah. allegedly <laughs> chased them out, just in case. My mum's side of the family, a bit, bit more interesting, uh, my mum's parents were born in Baghdad and lived in Baghdad. Cool. There was an Iraqi Jewish community there. In fact, Jews... I'm guessing a small ...proliferated community. throughout the Middle Eastern countries and probably weren't too badly off until... Um, their brethren in Europe decided to settle what was then called Palestine and yeah. it kind of set off a whole... Chain of events. A chain of events. But my understanding is that, look, I'm sure they weren't treated the same as, uh, you know, top dog Muslims in their country, but it doesn't sound like life would have been too bad. But by the time they left in the 1920s, uh, yeah, they were probably being harassed and, yeah, we all know what, what was going on then. Yeah. So um, a lot of the Iraqi Jews, for some reason, went to Singapore. And my mum was born there and eventually came to Australia where she met my dad. So I got the hell, you got Middle Eastern... Real... And, and people who haven't converted to Judaism and may go many generations back are most likely, in my opinion, to be a mix of a number of ethnic groups. Um, so neither of them were religious, but they were... Jews are often quite observant. They go to the synagogue every now and again without really knowing what's going on, go there on the high holidays to be seen, um, uh, have go-to gatherings where there were festivals. Mm -hmm. um, we had a Sunday school, which we were forced to go to. Yeah, I fucking hate you know, From the school. time I was a kid, I, I just honestly, I can remember uh, at age six going to, having gone to a Jewish kindergarten in Perth where there were quite a few Jews, to Adelaide where there were almost no Jews, no one even knew what one was. And I remember at primary school, right at the beginning, they had this thing called religious instruction. And there's a microphone and a speaker, and it's like all the Church of England to room something, and all the Catholics to room something. I didn't even, what's a Catholic? What's a, <laughs> you know, I knew what a Christian was vaguely. And it got down to, well, there was probably me and my brother and maybe an Indian person, I don't know, but there, there were no other, everyone was yeah. Christian or nothing else, right? No one claimed to be an atheist. So um, I remember then they told us, whoever was left, we were told and I heard for the first time the story of Jesus. And Jesus? Yes. He's Jesus the king Christ. of the Jews. Yeah. And I just See, remember I hearing that story and I remember from that moment on just... I've been a skeptic about all religion and I, even though I was a little kid I, I just for me everything had to be it's in front of me I'll believe it and I hated Sunday school I wanted to be a, I wanted to be home watching the footy or out playing footy yeah. I wanted to do all the sporting things and for me religion just interfered with that um, I found with, with and religion sometimes interferes with other things as well a, a lot of things mm. yeah fiddling um my experiences of Sunday school were pretty horrific as well in terms of, I mean, who the fuck wants to go to school on the Sunday to start with? And I just found, it's all, a, I mean, obviously it's just, it's a religious cult, to use your word if you like, Jay. Thanks. So, um, but in a similar vein to you, it's like, well, I want answers, I've got questions, and I'm not, I'm not taking this on blind faith. So, mm. but that's, that's, that's all it is, right? It's just faith in what you believe, but mm. if you want answers to questions, you're not gonna get them. Well, these, were, these people were telling us that we were the chosen people and mm -hmm. you know this was uh, th this affects you as you grow up hearing stuff yeah. like that and then being taught about the holocaust where you're kind of uh, 
on the back foot all the time. Mm-hmm. And then actually I did experience a lot of anti-Semitism as I got older Fuck in yes. high school. So that was the reason for me going towards the, a, the Zionist uh, Did you have a bar mitzvah? Was, uh, I did. I, yeah. was, I remember that I was... Sorry, what was that? I didn't... Bar mitzvah. Oh, okay. It's a I know what bar mitzvah is. Coming of age at <laughs> yeah. 13. Uh, don't confuse that with the bris, which is at eight days. Yeah. Oh, what? The chop ceremony at uh, eight days old. The snip. Oh, the dinky? Yeah. yeah. They cut the skin off your dinky at yeah. eight days old? And there's a massive feast straight, o- straight what, after. Not, I mean, no. no, no. <laughs> you're, not eating the dinky, you're not eating the dinky skin, no. though, are you? That wouldn't no. feed a big crowd, would it? We have to rub it first. Well, I don't know. Not well, at that well, age. <laughs> maybe later in life. You say that, but you're king of the Jews. He <laughs> fed everyone some five fishes and a couple of loaves, or was it a couple of... Was it five loaves and a couple of fishes? I, is that, this bit going to get censored now? I seriously, I seriously Why? doubt it. You're going to use the C word. <laughs> no, I just think you're oh, the Christ. running hot after you just said that. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. I know what I'm doing. I'm not religious. Um, moving back to coffee very yeah. quickly. When you're doing your lawyer stuff, was it always in the back of your mind that you wanted to get involved no. in coffee or not at all? Towards the end... Uh, after my wife died and I was sort of tidying up my small legal practice, I had started hanging out at a, at a coffee bar in the oh. city where there was a really good barista. Sorry, let me just jump in. So you had your own little lawyer business, did you? Uh, I started working for a firm and then after a few years, I uh, got a bit disillusioned and wanted to work for myself. So yeah, I just set up a, a small law firm myself. What was myself. it called, if I may ask? What was it called? Yeah. Himes and Associates, of there course. There you go. Of course it was, yeah. That's what I wanted it. Something original, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I could have called it uh, Law Lab now that I think of it. <laughs> so then <laughs> the, the, the wife had sadly passed away. Coffee's in the back of your mind. And sorry, you were going on about you. So you met a, a, bar- a barista, not, on, yeah. not a lawyer. Not one. a barrister, oh, a barista. No, and a lot of the lawyers did. I mean, later in my coffee journey, that's how I got into espresso was lawyers hang out at espresso bars. Sure. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Italians came to Australia in the 1950s and really changed uh, food and beverage industry, including bringing espresso. So uh, this guy was working at one of those classic old Italian espresso bars. And we talked about, you know, maybe opening something there. But I think I realised I just had to get out of my house, Australia. Mm. Um, you know, I sold basically and got rid of everything. I I kind of became a minimalist also because the experience of having... Uh, it took me almost a year till I could even bear to uh, get rid of a lot of things that sure. my wife owned and you know, clothes and everything. It's just like, it's just very hard to do. Even years later when I went to clean the final things, I just broke down. So um, it was kind of a cleansing thing to get rid of everything almost that I owned. and even Start again. To, and even coming here, I've anyone who knows me knows that I just don't own much here. Yeah. You know, I've got my car and my motorbike and my surfboard and my bike. I don't think I've ever seen you in a car, to be fair. I've only ever seen you in your little... Yeah. Um, three-wheeler. Yeah, your little yeah. three-wheeler. Yeah. So w- when you got here, when you got to Phuket, what was, the, was it the plan just to open a cafe? Or did you just come and just want no, to just I, bum around for a I, bit? I think I should have bummed around, but I was probably, for some reason, I was too insecure and felt like, for some reason, I had to have a job coming here, which I think was a mistake, but... Uh, look, I just did that for a year. Um, what was the job? I was working as a lawyer, but, um, you know, it's a bit different here. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> uh, lawyers, I, I, I wondered why in the hell would they need a lawyer, an English-speaking lawyer in Thailand? We're not, we're not actually admitted to practice there. Yeah. And it was basically to review the contracts on, you know, sale of property and 
the contracts were always in English and yeah, that was the job. But uh, yeah, after one year I'd had enough and it was really time to get out. And what was that? What did you do? Um, I didn't do much for a while uh, and it was a trip to Pattaya, Bangkok where I, I met were a guy who I'd been buying coffee beans of, so, so I had my own espresso machine at home and grinder. You couldn't find really good roasted coffee in Phuket at that time, or at least I couldn't, mm. and so I was getting this guy to send it from his roastery and cafe. So I went to visit him, and he had that roasting machine that you can see over there was in his shop, oh, wow. and he was about to upgrade and get a larger one, and so I just made the decision, which is not me at all. I'm normally a procrastinator, but I'd made the decision on the spot. I said... How much it. I'll buy it, and I bought it. Uh, Can I ask how much is a ballpark of a roasting machine? So it depends on the size. Um, this is a five kilo machine. Five kilo referring to the capacity. Uh, a big machine, you know, could could be doing a hundred or more kilos at right. a time, right? And you can get a tiny machine that does one kilo. So um, for a machine like this, it uh, depends on where you get it from. So. Um, the range would be for a new five kilo machine would probably be around five hundred thousand for a low end one, but you could be spending two million top baht on the top end German machine f- for that wow. same capacity. Wow, yeah. that's a bit of a range, <laughs> far out. Wow. Okay, so you went for it. I'm going to buy that machine, and it is a nice machine. It does look gorgeous, red. <laughs> it Very does. Right. Like, it looks like a popcorn machine to me. I thought they look a bit like uh, steam engines. <gasps> Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly I give you like. that. Yeah, you've painted that picture. It's a very, it's very Willy, Willy Wonka. That's it's just it's a Willy Wonka thing. And at that time, you hadn't roasted. You Never. hadn't done anything. No. You just went. Do you know no. what? I'm going to buy this roaster and just jump in at the deep end. Yeah. So I found a very very dingy place at Bang Tao, opposite, virtually opposite where that um, uh, the fishing village is. You know where? Pass. You know the? You know you just past Benny's place. There's the fishing. Yep. And then on the other side of the road, there used to be some dilapidated places in the weeds. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was sharing I was. that place with mosquitoes and lizards and snakes. And uh, and this was your first venture? Yeah, it was like 2,000 baht a month because yeah. I just thought, I've got to plant this somewhere and learn how to use it without, uh, you know... Burning my house down. Burning, <laughs> or, or, or burning you know, a hole in my budget before I even get going. Yeah. So, And at this time, where were you yeah. getting your beans from? Uh, so I... Ha- I had done some barista training and other courses in Thailand as well. There was quite a, um, a really developing specialty coffee industry in Bangkok, but it just hadn't really appeared in Phuket yet. So yeah. there, were, there were some real aficionados in Bangkok, and I bought, had bought some coffee beans and equipment and accessories from them. And uh, well, this guy actually gave me a roasting lesson. I, I signed up for that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, no. I went My there brain as well. is thinking what a roasting lesson is, and it's very different from what I think your roasting yeah. lesson is. Yeah, coffee roasting lesson. There you go. There, there you go. go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's how it came about. And then I, I actually did some, uh, some I, I went to Australia to visit family and did a, a longer three day course there. And later on, did another one in the USA, which was also really good. So I wanted to, I wanted to get the knowledge. I knew in Phuket, I wouldn't have like a mentor, like mm. a lot of people starting to roast will just be a, an apprentice working with a master. But uh, I wouldn't have had that luxury. It, so it's, it's sorry talking to you. It, it's actually very interesting. It it's almost sounds like um, like when you mentioned the apprenticeship thing. It's like you're. A, I'm into barbecue and smoking. And it is, you learn from people and you go around, you learn mm. what, you know, mm. the temperatures and what wood to use and what, you know, bits and pieces. And I guess it's exactly the same in 
roasting yeah, coffee. Yeah, it's and it's it's kind of art and science together. And uh, you know, it would have been great if I'd had a mentor, but you know, I had to learn myself. So you know, there's stuff that you learn as you try. Like uh, you know, when you're baking something, oh gee, I've burnt the cake for the third time. Yeah, and, you know, that sort of thing. And yeah, I burnt some coffee beans for sure. Um, <laughs> with the with the coffee beans, there's a lot of coffee beans available in Thailand, grown in Thailand, that mm-hmm. are pretty good. Uh, so that was a starting point. Imported coffee is taxed at 90%. That's so insane, isn't it? You don't want to wow. be playing with that until you've got customers who want to buy it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got some coffee from, from North Thailand and I was practicing and... I think my very first customer might have been uh, our mutual friend Martin from Taste. I oh, think no way. he he was prepared to give it a go, and, he's, and I thought, yeah, someone's actually prepared to serve my coffee in their in their place, and I started to believe in it, and uh, from there it's just slowly grown into a nice small business. Far out. Where did the name Coffee Lab come from? My lack of imagination, I guess. <laughs> Well, no, I, I guess the lab part is... Uh, well, like you said, the science it, part of it, right? Is how I consider, yeah, it's the science part of it. It's, uh, I guess, it, I guess, yeah, someone with a better imagination might have come up with something a bit more interesting, but that was basically it. I, think I, don't know, I honestly think it fits. I think it does. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that, because we're sat in your place, once again, Coffee Lab in Boat Avenue, because you've moved to Boat Avenue now. That's correct. And we'll go yeah. back to where you were before. But it does look like a laboratory. Looking at that machine, you well, know, yeah. like you said, he says Willy Wonka steam machine. I think it looks like a popcorn machine, but it looks like it is a, in a laboratory. So I yes. guess it does work. And then laboratory, not a laboratory. <laughs> I, I, I think I was just bad pronunciation. I'm tired. We I added some test tubes to give the extra effect there too. So our and I wanted to ask you yeah. about that. Because, well, there was two things. One is you've got the, your, your grinding machine like you would... So that grinder, the white one there, we use for our single say, shots. It, we're not being racist. Yeah. It is actually white. Yeah. Yes, just covering our back again. But in any other, and, and okay, people can't see this obviously, but they can imagine going to you go to any coffee shop. There's your coffee machine, massive fucking bowl of beans sitting in there, which just go through the grinder. Whereas you don't. Yours is empty, but for the test tubes that you use for your single shots. That's right. So for single shots, that particular. Sorry, I just I had no idea what you were talking about, and I'm actually in huh. sat next to you. And when you said test tubes, I look at me and go, "What are you talking about?" I realize. Okay, so you got. In the test tubes... You have 16 grams of, grams of coffee in each one of those. Okay. And that's for how... So you would then... So when we grind it, we'll lose one gram. So that'll be 15 grams going into the machine. And that's our single shot, which is a very large single to shot. Just give you a little bit of advice. Don't sell drugs. Because if you're losing a gram <laughs> on every grind, shit business. So that's a single shot. So when I come in, it just yes. for people that don't know about... Or just drink Nescafe or whatever they have. So you come in and you'd grind the beans in your grinder yes. and then you run it through the coffee machine that's to, right but then you also you've roasted it first in your roaster so it's fresh right. and then it goes into your test tubes we actually we try to wait at least a week before we're using the coffee it needs to breathe uh, it's very similar to wine in that respect except the time scale is uh, much much shorter um, our coffee I like to think that it peaks around 10 days after it's roasted, can be used after a week, but peaks at around 10 days, and can be used for probably a tad over three weeks. And then we've got to be on our next batch, so I've got to get the timing right. And is it using the test tubes, it just your, in terms of your freshness, I can keep Okay, so I first saw this in, uh, t- I'll admit that I've copied someone, I, I first saw this it's in totally allowed. espresso bar in uh, Bali. Mm-hmm. And look, this, this grinder has, in the last, several years made a name for itself the 
most people don't realise that the grinder is actually the most critical piece yeah. of equipment, that the evenness of the particles is critical to getting a really nice espresso pour. So uh, this is one of the top grinders. It was actually designed as a bag grinder. That's why there's no coffee actually sitting in the container, the hopper above. It was designed to stick a bag there, grinder, right, and gotcha. y- you know you take it home. Uh, but it just grinds so well for espresso, and it's perfect for individual single shots. You can uh, put a container just underneath it, fill up the container with a weighed amount of coffee, uh, and it ensures consistency, the fact that we know that it's the same amount of coffee every, every time. time. Uh, and what's, yeah. what, what would be the main differences then between, like on a grinder where it's a, a very coarse, very dense sort of grind versus one that's really fine? In terms of so, what it does to the quality or the taste so of the coffee? So when, when we do barista training, I ask people to imagine two glasses one glass has sand inside and the other has small pebbles inside and you fill them both with water and then you make a hole in the bottom of both the water passes through faster through the sand or through the pebbles the pebbles okay so think of the pebbles as coarse coffee and the sand as fine coffee it's exactly the same principle that the finer you grind your coffee the slower the water will pass through it whether that's in a filter machine or any sort of brewing, every method of brewing, you've got coffee grounds, a filtration method, the water passing through the grounds and the filter. The finer the grinds are, the less spaces there are between the particles for the water to pass through, so that naturally slows it down. So you're going to have a denser, stronger coffee flavour from, from that? Well, it's, it's, it's not just a matter of denser. You, you have to actually get the correct volume over a period of time right. for espresso. It, it, it's not like... You can't miss by much. To, to It's very easy, to, can I say this? It's very easy to fuck up an espresso shot, yeah. Can you say that? Because he just did. What, it's easy to fuck up an espresso shot? I mean, I would imagine it's easy to fuck up an espresso shot. I think it is, yeah. I think it's, yeah. Espresso, <laughs> if you look at Professor Illy's definition, it's 30 mils of, of uh, coffee. Don't fuck this espresso. up. <laughs> you so should know this shit. 30 mils. Who's in, Professor, Professor who? You know Illy? You ever Illy, had Illy, Illy coffee? coffee? So Illy, is the, he's the, the Italian guy who sort of wrote the book on what espresso extraction is. He's okay. kind of inv- inventor of espresso. I, had, I, know I, had, ne- I know Nescafe. I, had, I, know, I know Illy Coffee, as in I know the brand. Professor I had, Nescafe didn't have anything no? to do with it, no. no. I know Illy Coffee by brand, and I used to drink it, but I had no idea that it was actually an actual, that's an actual person. It's just a yeah, random brand is. name. I don't <laughs> know how it came about that. Whether, whether that was his company or whether they bought the name. I don't know how right, that okay. works. But the, the, the process, and, and this is really interesting because I didn't know as much as you've taught me, so not the little bit that you've taught me. I don't want to say that I know now everything about coffee because I don't. <laughs> Does it piss you off when people don't understand coffee? No, not at all. I'm hoping that uh, people that come here ask me questions. I'm hoping that people come here and tell me stuff like, well, after you told me that, I, for the first time, had a coffee with no sugar. And, yeah, now I drink coffee with no sugar. So, look, this gives me a buzz. I, I never got much job satisfaction out of being a lawyer, but people were a bit more smiley after the service we give them here. The, the fact that your roast is right in front, in the, in, yeah. in the shop window, I think, do you get many people just coming in and asking you about roasting and bits and uh, we we do get lots of people ask and they ask about the coffee in the grinder what kind of coffee are you using and uh you know all, all of my staff uh, do you want to try do you want to ask one of them uh what's in my not right now we'll, we'll <laughs> try, i'll try where's the hot <laughs> one from last later. week <laughs> she's not here anymore you're intern yeah i'll edit that bit i out. remember the first time i came in here 
Um, and we'll, we'll talk about your, your bang towel place in, in a second. But the first time I came in and I saw that, and I just thought it was an amazing prop. And I remember I was sitting on that table next to it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you fired that thing up. It's got the fucking life out of me. I didn't actually realize, oh, that's where we are roasting the coffee right there. Yes. Which is cool. Yeah, well, I, I like the fact that um, I, I think you've got a better chance of making good coffee if you're involved in the process as far back as possible. Sure. So I think also, you know, uh, a lot of winemakers have their own vineyard, right? Yep. Uh, and they're, they're involved in the process right from right the Right from the get-go. So I think it expanded my knowledge naturally mm. a lot just to, you know, have to go up to the farm to actually see how they're processing and picking the coffee uh, to have a relationship with the farmer. Um, and, yeah, so that, that's part of the education. And do you work with specific farms in, in Yeah, right from the beginning I've cool. bought my Thai coffee from a, a group of farms uh, in the north near Maesai, in the mountains above Chiang Rai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the taste of this Thai coffee, uh, just like... Um, you would find wines would vary as you travel across southern France or southern Australia. Same, you wouldn't expect, you know, um, a coffee from Chiang Mai to be the same as one from Chiang Rai, but you would find characteristics that are similar similar. where you might find French wines have certain points of distinction compared to, say, Australian or Italian wine. So you can make that distinction also. In terms of process, you're you're getting the beans uh, raw. Yeah, we call them green. I'm buying green beans. All right, and you're roasting them here. That's right. Versus, I'm going to, and correct me if I'm wrong, other places, other establishments that would buy them already roasted from wherever. So I I do that. I sell to to other cafes uh, and teach them how to best, but we do barista training and we sell coffee to other cafes and that's normally what they would do. The the life of the coffee, because if you're roasting it here and selling it on, it's fresher coffee than if it's been roasted months ago and then sold down and what have you. Correct. Now, is it purely about the the freshness of the coffee? Yeah, managing that is really important. So you need to always know roughly uh, what your sales are going to be in a week's time uh, and also you need to educate the customers so that if they call me and say, look, we've just ran out of coffee, it's an emergency, can I please have a bag? And I say, yeah, sure, but I just roasted it yesterday. Um, yeah. To be honest, a lot of them aren't yet at a level or sophisticated enough to appreciate that that's not on. Um, if you gave them a really, really hard green banana... Yeah. yeah. I'm looking at Jay now. <laughs> no, I th- but this is... <laughs> they, they, they'd go, I can't eat that, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, but that's what I'm giving them. And if you gave them... Uh, if you gave them a banana that was completely black and shriveled, uh, <laughs> at I, I, no, I, I left that joke. That joke, <laughs> down there. but no. But thank you. In all fairness, but putting it into layman's terms like that is really helpful yeah, for not just me, but there are other people that are as thick as you. Thick isn't the right word, Russell. That's very much bullying. Don't knowledgeable. Do that. Knowledgeable. Thick. <laughs> anyway, can I just say we 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 haven't we, we're running out a little bit. Um, but your first or your, your place in Surin. Yes. Um, which you were, but you've previously moved. That's where we did our first ever podcast it interview. It is indeed. That's so correct. I've forgotten one. about we, that. It was yeah. our third show. It was our third mm. podcast. You weren't there at the time. It was similar to last week. It was, <laughs> our, it was, our, third, it was our third podcast. And Anna, it was with the lovely Anna, Anna Rose, Rose. My favorite guest of all time. Well, until we finish for you. Um, but we, yeah, we were there. And then you've moved from there to here, which is once again Coffee Lab in Boat Avenue. And... A much yeah. better location here, I'm assuming. Well, 100%, you surely. Know, uh, 
at the time I was at Surin, my main business was wholesale. Uh, I was selling coffee to hotels and to cafes and restaurants. Um, and uh, look, I was reluctant to have a full-on cafe because I knew it would be a lot of work. Uh, people often romanticise about having a cafe, but then other people warn you about, yeah. um, you know, it takes a lot of time and money. But it was going okay, and then COVID hit, and, uh, you know, anyone who's been to Surin Beach lately, it is a ghost town, and I was one of the last businesses to still be open there. But it got to a point where I had to make a decision either to close or to move. And uh, I, by that time, as I saw it from delivering coffee around the island to smaller businesses, the hotel stopped ordering yeah, coffee. Sure. Um, I saw that the choices were probably Phuket Town, uh, Naihan Rawai, or uh, this area hmm. here. And uh, a place became available here and I it, it didn't have to think long because it was either that or, or close. Uh, really, Surin Beach is uh, pretty sad business-wise yeah. now. And I guess I also found that, um, and I don't know if it's just peculiar to this part of the island, but I found that um, travelling one, two, three, four kilometres for a lot of people is just something they're not prepared to do. No, they may or may not be coffee connoisseurs, but um, right at the moment, location is is absolutely critical. Most people would always say when it comes to a business, location is, is key. It's all about location, right? And and we, we've had this discussion before, mm. sort of off the pot and what have you, because I we were both aware of your place um, previously in Surin. And I remember saying to you before, outside of that podcast, I have never been to Coffee Lab. It's not because I don't want to go there. It's just, it's you're going from one place to another. And it was just... Surin, in that respect, was just a weird... Don't look at me. I live on the East Coast. Well, there's that too. But people in Phuket do not travel. And even with the distance only being, say, four kilometres, anyone who's lived here just has memories of, say, coming from Laguna, how long it can take to turn right at the exactly, traffic lights. Yeah. And then if, uh, if you're lucky enough to do it during Ramadan or at other yeah. busy times when that mosque yeah. is... Uh, is firing. Um, can just say other religious festivals are available, not just Ramadan. But not at that particular right. time. Mm. But no, but that's the point. Everyone yeah. sort of thinks in sort of those sort of travel times, or at least here um, in Boat Avenue. Another plug for Boat Avenue, but that's where Coffee Lab is. A there's there's a, there's a mass population that, tra- that transfer through this place every day, right? So that's right. Mm. Well, I like this location, and I absolutely love your little cafe. Yeah, me too. Here it's, a lot. I think I it's very coffee. cool. I love your like, the coffee's good. He likes a carrot cake. Your carrot lights. I love the lights. I love the the big. It almost now it looks like a smoking machine to me because it reminds <laughs> me of my smoker at home, which is very small. And can um, I just say we're dog friendly in here, aren't we? We're dog friendly in here. You can as long as your dog's, dog as long as your dog's under control. As long as it doesn't <laughs> bite any me or any of my staff. Uh, well, if it does bite you, then I know a dog trainer you could take it to. Do you? No, it's useless. <laughs> anyway, your question, Russell. Do you believe that the Earth is flat? <laughs> no. Um, sorry, was that not uh, the question? No, that wasn't the question. Oh, sorry. But no. we could get back to religion because you were asking me before. And, uh, well, I no, it was just... I, I was my I've only been an qu- atheist since I was six. Yeah, right, okay. So, I mean, but I, I, was, I was forced to do all of the Jewish traditional things. Up until... And then uh, when I was 13, I was told I could do whatever I wanted. So that was exactly me. Uh, however, but g- getting, I, I got seriously bullied at school. Uh, I was Mate, I was ginger only, and Jewish. Yeah, so I was the only one virtually in the school. And I didn't handle it very well, to be honest. So when I got to 18, it was kind of... 
I went to these um, uh, youth group summer camps in uh, um, Melbourne where there were far more, you know, there were, there were kids my age who were Jewish. It was just so weird for me and <laughs> kind of, I'm not an outsider here. I mean, I always just felt like I was an Aussie, but people put a label on me and I, I couldn't escape it, you know. They all knew I was Jewish. You had yeah. to stand up at school and people would they'd say, uh, where's your mother from, where's your father from, what's your religion? It would be like uh, England, Scotland... Uh, Church of England, uh, uh, Scotland, Ireland, Catholic, and then you know, it's all like that. And then it gets to me, and it's like Singapore, oh, whatever, Jewish, and it's like that was it. You know, yeah. it's like. See, I, I didn't have any of this at school. Where I grew up, it we we ne- there was no. I think we had to sing hymns and stuff, but mm. th- no one ever talked about religion. There was no. This wasn't about religion. It was about being different in a country yeah. that didn't have many migrants like the weirdest people were italians and greeks there were no asians but i guess okay so you we know? didn't have many migrants in where i grew up i mean i okay. grew up in essex okay you know yeah. southeast uh, you know very close to where your great grandfather cockney came from and we didn't have any of this the only thing i knew about jewish people was we used to sing yidos at the Tottenham supporters mm. we didn't i didn't know what it meant at the time but what everyone did yeah it's what yeah. everyone did but we never had anyone that was that was different, my grandfather was a Chelsea supporter. I don't good know for why. Him. Well um, done. But yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. But anyway, the, the re- end result from that was when I was 18, I basically became a Zionist. So oh, I, sorry. I, I, a Zionist. I, wasn't, I didn't believe in God. I, I actually hated religion. I didn't want to go near a synagogue. Uh, but I was a Zionist. And the belief was kind of, well, what am I? You know, if I'm not Australian, what am I? You know, if it's if I'm not religious, but if it's supposed to be that my blood is Jewish, that must be what ethnically defines me. I mean, if someone asks me, I can either say I'm Jewish or I'm part Singaporean, uh, Cockney, uh, Polish, Russian. You know, it's I, like I, I think we, we could say, go off. I understand that that's what Jews are. I think you're yeah. coffee Danny to me. That's how I label you. Right. Yeah. I'll go with that. You're Dog Russell, are you not? I've been called worse, Absolutely. usually by you. Yeah. But just to, to I, the, the reason I asked the question was that was my experience as well. I okay. suffered her- horrifically at school with it growing up in Hong Kong. But um, <laughs> being ginger didn't help at the time either. Yeah, well. But in terms of... I thought it would have helped because you don't look Jewish. No, but I was... You don't look different. You yeah, look you like should have seen his ginger hair, though. You should have seen me as a kid. Afro. Massive. Well, a that. But also, yeah, I was... I was sort of forced into that religious track that I didn't believe and I didn't yeah. want to have anything to do with. Same. Do your bar mitzvah and then, then you can choose what yes. you want to do after that. Did the bar mitzvah, chose juices to that, I'm, I'm off. Well, I got drawn in by Israel and I actually went to live there and I spent four years there and I was even drafted into the army. And can we uh, even yeah. we, we Israel can, army this, stuff? This, this podcast. No, I just thought I'd throw that yeah, in. No, yeah, no, I mean, there's, I mean, we didn't, because triathlons, we haven't, there's a load of stuff that we well, haven't sort of touched on. I think we'll have to do yeah. part two. We'll have to do a no part worries. two. But other question for you is, what sort of things have you got on your bucket list? I want to, so the thing I, that gives me the biggest buzz in life is surfing, uh, which I actually took up here, believe it or not. In my mid-40s, I took up surfing. I'd never From surfed Australia. in Australia. Far out. I lived in South Australia. The nearest surf was a few hours away. The sharks were fucking huge. Uh, water really cold. I started surfing here. I love it. Uh, to really get the most out of surfing, I really want to spend uh, one or two months in Indonesia just on an island surfing. Hmm. I've done quite a few trips there, but... Yeah, that that would that's number one on my bucket list. Okay, as soon as I can travel again. Yeah, yeah traveling. What was that? Yes. Mm. Fire out. Well, on that note, um, Danny, thank you very much for having us. Um, yeah, thanks for once again. Pod, do love your little cafe here, and it is it is funny. We've only ever been to your past one when we was doing our 
podcast. Our first podcast. Um, You're welcome to I've do more here. here. Sweet, I've yeah. had more coffees here and more food here than I go well. Well, your coffee education has only just started. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm going to feel very guilty when I wake up every morning and go to 7-Eleven for my <laughs> black coffee for 25. But look at his face. <laughs> Danny, thank you very much. You're Appreciate welcome. it, mate. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Cheers, Russell. Cheers, Thanks. mate. Thanks. Bye. Welcome to the outro. Welcome to the outro. I feel we only just touched the surface. We've very much scratched the surface of that. There's a, a lot of other things that we could have gone into. I think so. Um, Which would have been fun. We can definitely do a part two and maybe even a part three here. Yeah, I think it would be... Um, yeah, because we talked off air just quickly and you and, and Danny were just talking about the whole Israeli stuff and Palestine and I was... I, I'm afraid I can't comment because I have no idea. But really interesting. Mm. We Go back. But back and also, co- I, I go on. For, um, back in the day meeting Danny doing all the triathlon training. We didn't discuss any of that either. We so didn't talk about triathlons. We didn't talk about loads of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Part no, two coming one. soon. Lo- it could be part the first part two. But it is interesting. Only it did dawn on me when we were talking halfway through this that our first ever guest podcast yeah I've completely forgotten about was that was at the at coffee the origi- lab yeah. the original one in on Serin yeah. not on the beach but on the roadside yeah no ab- absolutely so yeah we could just f- this could be it we could finish this now the whole podcast thing and, it, and we've kind of we've done come full circle, full circle. <laughs> so thanks very much listener for ever listening Thank, cheers Russell what is that the end of season two I mean it's summertime now really, we are so. in season two I don't know Russell anyway I like Danny his coffee's very good. It, it's and for me, it's the best coffee on the island. Going, you're a bit of a coffee connoisseur. Like I said, I'm a 7-Eleven morning 25 baht coffee, <laughs> which is fine. So it gets me going. And Danny's still shaking his head at us about that. But, but Coffee Lab in Boat Avenue. Yes. Big it up. It is a really cool place. And there's so much more to coffee than I thought. I mean, we didn't even touch on that, on the whole grinding process. And the, uh, we, he didn't even mention about the timings he has to roast yeah, uh, in. It's, it's so intricate. I mean, I, I, <coughs> look, I, I like a cup of coffee uh, and what have you. I know the differences between a few of them, but I, I don't know. It doesn't always really. keep you awake, though, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Little in-joke there. Yeah, there you Little in-joke. <laughs> um, thank you very much for, for listening to the Jailer Shark and Friends and Russell. podcast. Um, please like us on the old Facebook and on the Instagram and on the old Twitter. You just go to Phuket Podcast, but the best place to go is PhuketPodcast.com. Thank you very much. If you want your dog trained or if you want to go away for a little while and leave your dog somewhere at Luxury Suites. Ooh, K9PointAcademy.com. Check us out. There you go. And uh, make sure you listen to our other podcast, which is Bartcast, which is also on the radio. Woohoo! We don't big that up enough. Oh, that reminds me. I need to record something with you in a minute. Okay. Um, Right, listener, you can go. Off your pop. Off your pop. (laughs) Listen to the next podcast. Uh, Next week. We're going into the air. We're going vertigo next week. I've lined people up. Look at oh me. You're looking God. at me like I don't know what I've done. We're going no, up n- to the air. Excellent. I can't. We're on a trampoline. No, but that's interesting. We should do that. <laughs> Thanks, Russ. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Bye.